Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Left Page. Yay, we're back again, as we always will come back. <laughs> yes, even after slightly extended breaks. Yeah, yeah. But here we are, it it was it was a Halloween, and yeah. now we're at the end of the year going mad, doing a bunch <laughs> of work. Yeah. Uh, Bruno is definitely screwed, <laughs> but it'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's part of. I don't know. I think that there is a a certain kind of knowledge that you get when you actually leave the the essays and things that you need to do to the last week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because I I mean I'm sorry, but I have already talked to many professors and people that are like just geniuses, and they all say. Yeah, until today, I I actually leave to the last three days before <laughs> something is going to happen that, and then I do it. So I mean, if even the the people that teaches us uh, are that way, so why well, I'm gonna even bother <laughs> about it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you can work it out, then it's fine. Yeah, because uh, I mean, at least to to literature. There's a certain kind of period that you need to think about what you're going to do and then actually leave that idea in the back of your brain for like one week, two weeks, <laughs> and three weeks. Because the thing is, uh, if you just decide, and this already happened to me, like if you decide in the in the beginning of the semester what uh, exactly what you're going to do and exactly what you want to do, Maybe to the end of the semester, you will already hate the the work that you've done, and Basically. yeah, and, and you maybe want to uh, just erase all and and work in another subject. So I mean, obviously, you don't need to leave it to the last <laughs> day before the thing. But I mean, if you already know maybe what you want, it's actually I think it's a good uh, a good way to kind of ferment that idea that you have so it comes out rounder and and more well defined i, I yeah. think yeah yeah i guess that's one of the reasons why we sometimes take a little bit more time making these or preparing for these yeah because like literature deserves and necessarily takes a certain time yeah to do and process and sometimes it's not enough as we'll <laughs> see today yeah <laughs> but Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the state of things. Yeah. Uh, in any case, we're we're coming off Halloween. It's a f technically first November episode. We're sorry. <laughs> uh, it's been a rough couple of weeks, but hopefully, uh, after this one, things will be able to be more regular. Yeah. Um, as we figure out, I don't I don't know if Bruno's gonna run away for a bit or something, no, no, but no. I'm sure we can figure it out, and it's gonna be a yeah. lot more chill then. Yeah. So yeah, still we wanna we're gonna approach a short story today that comes a bit off the theme of Halloween, sort of the macabre or at least death, uh, at the very least. And it's I think it's gonna be our first return author, the our first the first author we taught like a second time. Yeah. Uh, because he was so successful. Yeah. And we need to, well. Growing is nice, <laughs> and um, as always, if you could please support us on Patreon, we have some good stuff there, and all stuff for that today is going to come in a bit late, because we want to do a couple of things that are more special, uh, as we've mentioned before, there, about what's going on at the end of next week, but it will be done shortly, so don't you worry. 
but if you could, it it would it means the world to us, and we we thank you a lot that you can help to make this a continuous thing. Yeah, that helps us all. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> our first author, t- or our author today, <laughs> our first repeat author yeah. is Jorge Luis Borges. Once again, we're taking this <laughs> Titanic. Argentinian writer. This madman. Absolute. <laughs> and going through through a short story, the first short story of his second book, which is The Aleph. Well, a, a brief introduction of Borges. He was an incredible writer of short stories. He wrote incredible poetry, which we'll, we will likely get to at some point in our Patreon uh, literature or poetry club. Yeah. And... Yeah, he's he's someone who wrote a lot on the, the term is like this sort of ineffable, like that which is not that solid, that which is a bit bizarre, a yeah. bit at times magical, but a bit just weird and yeah. strange. It's like f- philosophical terror almost. That too. Yeah. But it's very very bizarre. Yeah. To to put it mildly, <laughs> we spoke last time about. In our second episode two of our detective series, we need to do more. We need to yeah, do more. Yeah, we need to get you to definitely. read uh, a hard boiled yeah. uh, cop, and we'll figure something out, and then we'll do some other cool Perfect. stuff. Perfect. Yeah. But we talked about the death and the compass. Yeah. Which is an astounding short story, like perfect in form, in content, in what it achieves as a detective story. Yeah, and I, I just a little, just a little remark. I think that Borges actually have this kind of, in my case, uh, at least when you study lots and lots of authors, there are these kinds of authors that the people who study literature or have a closer relation to to literature uh, like more. I mean, there there is lots of poets that are like this that um, uh, very few people know it, but the people who know it are mostly people that study uh, literature mm-hmm. and all those things. But in the case of uh, of Borges, and, and I can't uh, decide which, uh, if I say Borges or, or Borges or Borges, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean, the, the thing with Borges is that he has that quality of people who love literature and people... Uh, people who love and study literature and just people who just read, I don't know, one book a year. Uh, he, he has that kind of quality to kind of trap every kind of, of reader in his, in his literary, <laughs> in his literary labyrinth. Yes. And yeah, it's, it's nice because I, I, I almost feel like I'm going back to being like a beginner reader in the sense of, I always get surprised, but but uh, I mean this this short story is just bizarre. Yeah, I've been going for nearly ten minutes. <laughs> but yeah, I think it demands both. Well, it's like uh, we're still here, we're yeah. alive, we're still working on stuff. It was just a rough couple of weeks, but yeah. now things are closing <laughs> off. Bruno is still screwed. Yeah, but things should be resolved soon enough. Exactly for better. Yeah, and worse. Worse. Yeah. <laughs> both but today's short story is from his second book short story book it's, it's worth mentioning how he never wrote like longer forms he didn't write novels he only wrote short stories and they're all or almost all quite strange 
And this <laughs> is the first one of the second book, which is the Aleph, which is the the title story is the final one, which sort of closes the book in a very interesting way. But we won't touch on that yeah. now because it's another strange and surreal and fantastic short story that if we're going to do it, it deserves its own thing. Yeah. Or we're going to do like a three hour episode of the whole <laughs> book. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see whatever comes first. <laughs> In any case, uh, the story we're going to talk about is The Immortal. Yeah. Which is, well, <laughs> how to sort of describe it. Uh, a brief summary, if you will. It is the story of, ultimately, it's the story of a certain text that is found in London in the 1929, <laughs> and it's analyzed uh, later. Yeah. And it tells the story of a, a Roman tribune, is that the word? Yeah, military tribune of the legions of Rome, and then how he was searching for a city that had a river where if you drank that water, you would become immortal. And how he eventually finds that city yeah. in the labyrinth of the world. And, beware spoilers, we, much like our dear friends, and I love how they, they put it, the, the horror vanguard, they said, that like, this is a no-spoiler zone, or a full-spoiler zone, so be wary. Yeah. Um, so are we, because, let's be honest, we, we can't like, talk about all these incredible things without yeah. spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also the story of Homer, of... The Odyssey and the Iliad, yeah, uh, and his immortality as well. And in this text that tells the story of both of these men, it is also of the world that finds these texts and how they're ultimately received. Yeah, with a postscriptum of nineteen fifty, or so we're led to believe, uh, <laughs> in this fictional short story. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> that's a brief summary that's a brief <laughs> summary and i didn't even talk about the immortal yeah oh yeah that i mentioned homer is was or was actually immortal yeah um <laughs> but I, I think that's exactly where we should start off which is like death yeah and immortality as a concept almost yeah maybe we, i think just one thing before i think we should read the this Oh, oh, the introduction. There's an 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 sort of epigraph, or yeah. like a first word, uh, which is a quote from uh, Francis Bacon's essays, number fifty-eight. Uh, Solomon said, "There is no new thing upon the earth, so that as Plato had an imagination that all knowledge was but remembrance, so Solomon giveth his sentence that all novelty is but oblivion." And as we'll see, that makes perfect sense yeah. in the story. Yeah. So, immor now, yeah. immortality or death <laughs> or both. Let, let's begin by this. <laughs> simple stuff. Yeah, simple stuff to to talk about. <laughs> Do you want to start? Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, so here's the thing in this story: this this main character, this uh, Roman military tribunal. Uh, Marcus Flaminius uh, Rufus, he has an encounter in Thebes with a sort of wa wandering knight who is dying, and he tells that he is looking for a city where only immortals live, and where there lies a river where whose water, if you drink, you will become immortal. Yeah. 
uh, as such, he becomes decided to seek it. And it is fascinating because he asks around for advice or clues or whatever. And um, this is worth mentioning. How in Rome, he spoke with philosophers that felt that increasing or uh, uh, lengthening men's lives was in, was lengthening their agony and multiplying the number of their deaths. <laughs> Keep that in mind yeah. as we move forward. Eventually, he does find the city of the dead, or the city of the immortals, who, however, look almost dead. Uh, their first description, although we're not aware of them <laughs> as such, is, is that uh, in the sand there were little small holes or niches, where uh, emerged men of gray skin with neglected beards and without clothes. I judged to recognize them. They belong to the bestial group of the troglodytes. And <laughs> uh, there are further descriptions. But that is, that is how these people, who later we find out to be the immortals, are first described. Yeah. They are completely alienated from this material world. As we discover soon enough, they have chosen a pure speculative, idealistic life only in their minds. To the point where they're almost alien to anything and everything that's happening around them. Yeah. Uh, well, the way we discover this is because some <coughs> sort of natural senses uh, lead them, or lead at least Homer to sort of awake, in a sense. Yeah. As he, because of the rain. Yeah, and actually, before, uh, when Marcus Flaminius, he actually drinks the water, and he... All unknowingly, of this, again. Unknowingly, exactly. And he actually just kind of vomit yeah. uh, a Greek phrase. Yeah, like, he, <laughs> he drinks it, and he's, he's, he describes it as an impure creek. Yeah. So it's like, oh, it's a nothing in front of this city of the immortals. This sort of astounding, astonishing, yeah, pyramids city. and towers and all of this gibberish <laughs> in front of like this river and this sort of mountain that is carved with little holes where these supposed troglodytes live. Yeah. And before he falls in, <laughs> falls asleep, he see, says this peculiar Greek phrase. Uh, which I will not be able to translate, <laughs> but I will have a version of the short story in the show notes. But he he simply like spits out this Greek phrase for no apparent reason. So there's definitely like something is off there. Like why in front of this city of immortals do we have this this measly creek <laughs> and these strange people yeah so he ventures forth in this labyrinthine of like the underground yeah he, he tries to enter it and there's no doors and then he finds a cave yes and actually uh, i mean uh, i think it's worth mentioning that actually one of the troglodytes come with him to the cave and kind of just wait for him in wait the, for him entrance. yeah yeah exactly and he goes in and he enters the city and he's like sort of astounded and shocked but as he explores it further and further it's it's brilliant the way it's described yeah like for example he's climbing this uh, particular ladder to get up to the city from the caves and he notices that the steps of the staircase yeah that the steps were inconstant and their heights was variable uh, so it's uncomfortable to climb up and uh, his first thought was this palace is the work of the gods. 
first. Then, as he explored the uninhabited place of this empty, desolate city, which is majestic, but empty, devoid of any life, uh, the gods who built it died. (laughs) However, as he kept exploring and noticing its peculiarities, uh, how there are many things that are there simply to be there, as like an even further labyrinth, yeah. Like stairs that yeah, are exactly. nowhere, uh, <laughs> windows that are unreachable, colossal doors that lead to a cell or a pit. Uh, <laughs> Dark souls. <laughs> incredible inverse stairs. Things that led nowhere. Meaningless labyrinths. He says, the gods who built it were mad. <laughs> He is ultimately horrified by this place. It's like, how can this be a thing? Yeah. And he concludes in a very <laughs> astonishing way. This city, I thought, is so horrible that it's mere existence and lasting, even if the, in the center of a secret desert, contaminates the past and the future in a certain way that compromises the stars. As long <laughs> as it lasts, no one in the world will be happy or <gasps> courageous. <laughs> or courageous or happy. <laughs> it's just madness. Yeah, it, it's simply like desolation. Th- this city is. It's not glory, it's not joy, it's simply terror, it's yeah. emptiness, it's. Yeah, philosophical terror. Senseless, <laughs> yeah. ultimately. Yeah. And yeah. it is terrifying. Yeah. It is a horrifying description. Yeah, and then he runs to leave it. And he runs, and there's there's this moment of rain. And he discovers that a person he was talking to was Homer. <laughs> and that these supposed troglodytes were the immortals. <laughs> and then the, the way they're talking about this immortality, it definitely brings back that word from the Roman philosophers, that lengthening men's lives is prolonging their agony and that it's senseless. Yeah. And many deaths. Because the way that, that it's put is... It's almost as if if all the, all the, all unlimited time to exist to live leads all men or leads any men to become in a sense all men or rather no men. Uh, let me explain because that's almost quote a direct quote. The way the story puts it, and I think there's a reasonable degree of logic with this understanding, is that men is or a human being is a human being because he has limited time. Yeah. That's the sense that they all speak of. It. Yeah. But with immortality, there's more time for you in the same way to do great virtues, but to do great horrors. Yeah. In, and that's the point in equal measure, things even out. And at the end of the day, while immortal, you are capable of doing astonishing things, perfect things you're also capable of doing monstrous terrible things yeah and he says as well that animals actually what as he's talking about human beings he says that an animal is all the animals because animals don't take kind of responsibility in their action in in a meaning like they they don't fear death in the way of the language. They mm-hmm. don't deal with language in the meaning of the idea of death. They just have the instinct or of wanting to live. 
and not not wanting to die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's how he puts it. Being immortal is insignificant. Except man, all creatures are, for they ignore death. The divine, the terrible, the incomprehensible is to know it yourself immortal. In such, this knowing of immortality leads to a meaninglessness, which is the way they put it. Know that in an infinite, infinite time, to all men, to any man, happen all things, which is what is postulated. That with infinite time, you're capable of quite literally everything. Yeah. And as such, you lose what makes you a human being, yeah. your individuality, your subjectivity. You become all, and as such, you're diluted into all. Yeah. Like tears in rain. <laughs> 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 nice, nice. <laughs> and in a way, what what is said is that all evens out, like in a in a game of fortune, that the when you toss a coin a hundred times, I don't know something like it, it evens out in the end. Yeah, or it, it, maybe not a hundred, but yeah, because we did math exercises. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> that sort of mad stuff. Yeah, but like he says in game, like in games of chance, where even numbers ultimately balance itself out with odd numbers. They tend towards a balance. And as such, that is the case with the immortals or immortality. No one is someone. One single immortal man is all men. (laughs) And that's the point. Having this unlimited time ultimately doesn't do much because... It serves to sort of destroy you in a way. Yeah. As you become diluted into humanity, you lose what makes you a single human being with your own subjectivity. Yeah. You lose this aspect of yourself as a subject. And that is even like further complicated when we think that like they abandoned the physicality of the city. They went to live in this sort of holes and caves in the mountain in this like, physical meaningless existence to sort of like just I don't know be and sort of be in their minds and retreat themselves yeah and, and that's why they uh, abolish language as well yeah they don't even talk to each other like they, they uh, can't yeah and, and that's the point like it, it's not like it's 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 not like it's I mean going dumber <laughs> it's not like going into uh, into being alienated is the opposite. Is about it's just, it's bizarre to describe, but it, it it's exactly that that sense of doing the the voyage back mm-hmm. and like abstaining from language to to abstain from everything, basically because that's what makes us human language. Yeah, uh, and that becomes a key point later on as. Uh... I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, and this really does bring to the fact, the quote at the beginning, that there's no new thing upon the earth. So that as Plato had an imagination that all knowledge was but remembrance, so Solomon giveth his sentence that all novelty is but oblivion. In other words, <laughs> that there simply I is. I fucking love this quote. And with this immortality, this is always. There's nothing new. There's only the connection between past and present. As it's put, between the immortals, uh, each act and each thought is the echo of others in the past that have preceded it with no visible principle. 
or the faithful omen that others in the future will repeat it until vertigo. There is no, th no thing that isn't as lost between them tireless scarecrows. Nothing can happen a single time. Nothing is preciously precarious. In other words, with the immortals, there is eternity. Uh, there is omnipotence. But that leads to meaninglessness. Because it sort of takes away any of the precious things of experience. Anything that makes that an experience to grow with. It's the idea from the beginning. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Nihil nobus sub solum. That there simply is. And that all human experience is this sort of reliving of the same ideas and experiments. And the immortals live all this human saga in themselves. And as such, they lose the, what makes them them. Yeah. Homer isn't Homer. The, the way he puts it is that it's not that he wrote the Odyssey, it's that he couldn't not, not write, write it. Yeah. <laughs> he couldn't help but write it. it it's almost the point like uh, Infinite Monkeys, Infinite Typewriters. Yeah. Uh, or uh, Infinite Monkeys and Infinite Typewriters, in, eventually you'll get everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's almost this. Uh, oh, in a much more refined and a disturbing way. Yeah. But... I mean, I think I'm going mad just from analyzing this short story. It's fine. <laughs> uh, in a way, this this immortality, much like we have seen in Zardos, <laughs> uh, but in a different way, <laughs> is torment. This yeah. immortality is no salvation, is no joy. Yeah. It's, it, it's something that's put that. Uh, this doctrine of balance that ultimately... Whatever great things you might do, that you can still do horrible things, and you might, and yeah. you likely will. Yeah. We tend towards an equilibrium point. Uh, then there should be that the, it then, if there's a river that grants eternal life, then there must logically be a river that ends it. So the immortals sort of tell of how they spread out, or yeah. some of them spread out, seeking this other river that would take <laughs> away their immortality. Yeah. <laughs> And so who copied who? Zardos copied <laughs> <laughs> Bohis or? <laughs> but it's so it like immortality is a torment. There's nothing new. It's just it's this. It's like the boredom. Yeah. It's like it's like the apathetics in exactly. Zardos. Exactly. Yeah. Like why do anything? Why be anything? If there's simply immortality. Uh, <laughs> because it's an immortality that's not built around anything but like an individuality it's not a, like a collective Th there's no collective here in Zardos you could argue that there is some semblance of a collective or collectives if you will Yeah. but there's none here this immortality that dilutes any man into all men in a way that annihilates these individual subjects uh, of their identity is perhaps a reflection of the fact that the, these actions, these immortalities are done alone. There is no collective. There is no society. There is yeah. no immortal society. Yeah. It's fully broken down. 
Yeah. They exist as individuals that share that same space and drink water, the water from that impure creek from time to time. Yeah. But that's it. Whatever society they had collapsed when they abandoned the city or when they chose to abandon it. Yeah. Uh, for they saw no meaning. Um, when... When we see that, because uh, Homer says that, ultimately what we end up discovering, or it seems like that's what happens, it's hard to be sure with Borges in general, and this sort of story as well, Yeah, is that, <sighs> is that he finds, is that Homer is actually the one writing the entire text that we read or saw, um, even if at times he narrates as Marcus Flaminius Rufus. But he finds this river that takes away his immortality. We learned at the very beginning that he died. Yeah. That the person that handed our, like, the quote-unquote narrator that read the text, yeah. which is, like, the way we are seeing this text, which exists in this short story, uh, that this character, which was an antiquarian, had died. Yeah. We know that from the very beginning. Yeah. So, in a sense, this immortality, we were aware that it had ended. The immortal was not immortal anymore. Which makes us question the title. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to wrap up here, so, and to let you speak some more. No, no, no. Go um, on. Uh, I mean, the ending is so... Because... Uh, uh, let me just get this straight. So, the one who's writing on the end of the Iliad... That is donated. Yeah, that that's the that's the book that has like a postscriptum in itself. Yeah, and then the, the short story has a postscriptum as well. But okay, yeah. like so the, the the corpus of the story is like the sort of document that is found in a version of the Iliad. Yeah, or is it the Odyssey? No, it's the Odyssey. It's the Odyssey. No, I think it's the Iliad. Is it? Uh, uh, hold on. Yeah. No. Yeah. The Iliad. Yeah. yeah. The Iliad. Uh, Pope's Iliad. Yeah, exactly. Um, Six volumes. And in the final one, there is like this document, which is like this sort of uh, story. Yeah. Which the, we read, and then the narrator that read it uh, says a bit at the end. But the, this, the end of the of the document itself is is really symbolic of that relationship between immortality and mortality. How immort immortality. Uh, in dying, human beings achieve themselves or seek themselves as themselves, not as all men. Yeah, in contrast. Exactly. Basically, yeah. Like, in their subjectivity or in their limited time and experience, they can truly have this search as themselves. Yeah. They're not diluted in this totality that would be humanity, as we understand immortality here. Uh, it is said, I was Homer. In short, I will be no one like Ulysses. In short, I will be all. I will be dead. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's other than a sort of nice reference if you think it could be Homer. Um, it is the idea that at a time he was Homer, at the very beginning, he ceased to be Homer then. <laughs> he became all men. Surely he will be, he says he will be known like Ulysses, uh, because he would be disguised. He would be sort of mysterious, and in a way that he was as this antiquarian that was 
Joseph, Joseph Cartaphilus. And soon he will be all men, for he will be dead. Yeah. But he will be joining this collective. Well, I think the dead are a collective. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that's what I wanted to get as well. Like, what's the difference between. That's the point. What's the difference between the dead and the living immortals? Yeah. If there is any difference. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> I accidentally hit the nail on the head. Yeah, exactly. Which is the the dead are in if we take it in this way in their limitations and in the experiences of mortality all share this incompleteness uh, that forms this collective. The dead are all alike in this regard. Yeah. The immortals. The immortals don't experience this. The immortals are individuals that are diluted. They're almost like this sort of... I'm going to draw up a metaphor. Okay. <laughs> if the de- we, we think of the dead as like this sort of colossal... Entity. Uh, no, no, hold on. <laughs> uh, think of it as a massive glass vial. It's huge, huge. And the dead are all the drops of water that, that fill it to the very brim. Okay. However, the way I think of the immortals uh, is in this same metaphor. Think of a small vial of water, or like mid-size, like sorry, you can hold it in your hand, like a potion yeah. vial. Yeah, yeah. That's where I'm driving it. <laughs> um, fill it to the very brim. That same... But think of it as all each immortal as one. Think, in a way, that each immortal... The dead is a collective. I think I'm breaking down my own <laughs> metaphor. Uh, I think it doesn't stand on its own. But that's fine. Let me see if explaining it makes go any on, sense. Go on, go on, go uh, on. Please correct me. <laughs> this massive vial that is all the dead is form of these collective experiences that form humanity in itself. Yeah. The immortals as individual vials contain all these experiences, but they exist separately, almost as one. They can, if they carry the entirety of humanity, they can't communicate with humanity or each other for that matter. It's almost like all of this, all of this experience that dilutes them into this is the totality of human experience is meaningless. This means nothing, neither to them, to the other immortals, or to the rest of humanity. Yeah, but as the same as human experience. Like, hmm. as as you were saying, like, immortals live separately, mm-hmm. diluted, mm-hmm. without the notion of individuality, because they don't do anything in contrast to it. Well, they do, but they don't think about it in the terms of language, so mm-hmm. they just coexist. Yeah. And the dead coexist and do their things in contrast so there's their individuality but then they pass through diluteness so it 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 kinds that's my actually my my question to i don't know the, the the whole short story in a sense if uh if no human experience is senseless as well as human experience so is like 
this oblivion and eternity in a way uh actually make the immortals and the dead the same or complete opposites mm. i i think the, the thing is that death is death is the signifier of humanity and mortality yeah so in a sense it is like the logical conclusion yeah but the my point is it is in human experience the sole motive to i don't know do things because someday you will die but at the exact moment that you die i don't mean <laughs> no, it's not ahead. it's not meaningless mm -hmm. but oblivion is reserved to all things so i mean the the point and homer is the perfect figure for this because he is the immortal of literature he yeah. is the the one of the at least from the west uh it, it's is the the oldest type of writer and literature that we have but and he he as well he is dead and he exists because of the things that he did in contrast between his individuality and everyone else's in his lifetime but oblivion is also reserved for him because when all of us die <laughs> I, I think that the conclusion helps us elucidate that but i'll add to that first okay that it seems that Homer, in doing that, he did it as a man or as a human being, and that the immortals cease to be human beings when they forego this mortality. That's why they have kind of like the same logical philosophical definition, but they are not the same group. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. I think I think that is a reasonable way to go. Yeah. Like, in a way, we're interpreting this story as best we can. But yeah. We are, we're also presenting the story as much as we can so that uh, uh, you, uh, dear listeners, can also draw or go after this or draw your own conclusions or think about this. Yeah. And death, mortality, and immortality on your own terms as well. Yeah. Um, that said, I think now is the perfect time to head towards the conclusion that you were entailing. Yeah. Because, as you said, ultimately Homer dies and all memory of him is dead. And I think that brings the question of memory and what remains. And again, at this last paragraph of the supposed document is, when the end approaches, there are no longer images of the remembrance, only words. And as such, at the very conclusion at this postscriptum, about about this exact sentence yeah. words words dislocated and mutilated words of others was the poor alms they left them the hours and the centuries i think that what we see in, in this la last moment of the short story is that all of these all these experiences all this knowledge that homer or any of the other, or if I let you entail, exactly all the other mortals had, <laughs> that didn't last, that passed. However, what ended up lasting, and which is almost a sort of 
cruel irony? Uh, what are these words? The words that Homer wrote as a human being, or that others wrote as human beings, are the only thing that lasts. Yeah. And I guess, in a sense, that both both the dead and the immortals don't differ that much. Only in the limitedness of human beings can these can these work well. I guess the conclusion is human beings don't last. Yeah. Human beings die, pass away, and that's all there is. Yeah. They either die or get diluted. Yeah. Oh, so ultimately they all get diluted, and human experience is tends to this emptiness, tends to this void, since there is nothing new. The only thing that remains, the only heritage that human beings can leave behind, uh, is, are the their words. Yeah dislocated and mutilated words of others the poor alms that gave them the hours and the centuries in i guess in other words the the only thing that lasts uh the only thing that is actually sensibly and effectively immortal is or are the words are these texts are these writings yeah they remain they are the legacy that Homer or any of the others have left. And I guess it's up to us to see if this legacy is good or not. Because uh, upon rereading this multiple times right now, uh, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> uh, because as Homer says, when the end approaches, there are no longer images of remembrance, only words. He's sort of ambiguous about it. All that's left are the words. Yeah. These words I have written thousands of years ago as such a homer, or these words that I give you now, uh, or as Homer, as a pseudonym, as Marcus Flaminius Rufus, <laughs> they're all that are left. And in a sense, only this literature, only this work, only this writing can uh, fight mortality and win, rather, yeah. or take something valorous out of it. Yeah. Uh, if human beings, when given or when dealing with immortality, cease to be themselves, simply become this totality of the best and the worst experiences, um, then the literature, the writing, the words, do something else. Yeah. They last in a way that isn't diluted. That yeah. can't be diluted. Yeah. Even if their creation is imminent. Even if their creation cannot be avoided. They last in a different way. Yeah. I think that sort of like the infinity gate to think about is is like words are the only way that you can communicate why we are dead. Mm-hmm. Because it's what you, what you leave behind. As yeah. an author, as any person that writes anything. Mm-hmm. And I want to go even further and say that through words, mortals invented the immortals. That makes a lot of sense. So. I think, maybe not. Yeah. In, in, <laughs> <laughs> go in, on. The, in the way that we could only dream of immortality as human beings. Because of words. Mm -hmm. So, logically and philosophically, 
we invented immortals. Mm-hmm. Even if it's them diluted that are going to last forever, mm-hmm. we were their creators. So, uh, in, in sort of like a, a sense of origin and, and apocalypse, it, it's like. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it's almost hard to say, but my point is as we were saying, there's not much difference, but yeah, it, 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 it's a simple phrase that signif- signifies infinite possibilities. That's, that's just the point. We as mortals, we have words, and words mm-hmm. possi- uh, open the possibility to immortality just in in fiction that is not fiction, because Fiction in other ways is the only thing that's going to last because it's the words. <laughs> but it, it 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 seems that words are the only thing that can preserve this immortality in this way that isn't destructive. And we can think of that because even if he does says I couldn't help but write an mm-hmm. Odyssey, regardless, there is, and I don't think this example is without reason here. There is only one Odyssey, yeah. as we know it by Homer, whether he be a person or not. Yeah. There is only one. So, I think that ultimately what the immortals may do is inconsequential. Because if we think about this entire story, we don't know when it was written. We yeah. don't know when this document was written. Up. Yeah. And this is perhaps the only document that we have that documents the life of the lives of these immortals and if these are written like in this particular way well they might all have been written after the loss of immortality <laughs> which can lead us to assume that well immortality cannot lead to any possible further creation of words yeah and these words that were created at a certain time are their only legacy. The only thing that Homer, for example, was left after so long. It is one hell of a line of reasoning. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure it's even that convincing. But it's one that I think makes sense. And even beyond that, I would say that the acceptance of words or of literature and these writings, they are not ha- they occur in a sense this immortality. It happens collectively too. Even with small groups at times, it happens in a group. Yeah. It can't be an individual taking up the past. Yeah. Because then it loses its longevity, if you will. So these these created immortals are created in a collective sense, I think, uh, if we push it far enough. I guess what I'm driving at is individual immortality like we see in here like we see in Zardos uh, mostly or even if we we see it in, in our world as well or as potentially in our world yeah. can only lead to meaninglessness destruction apathy uh, madness it it can't build anything yeah if we are to take this city of the immortal seriously, 
nothing was effectively built. It all seemed senseless, pointless, and if it was and since it was abandoned and closed off, so it was meaningless. It was inconsequential at the end of the day. Yeah, and there nothing can be taken from these individual immortalities. They end. They are ends in themselves in the worst possible way. Like they, their conclusion is themselves. Yeah. As such, the I guess the way I think about immortality in a way is this collective spirit of struggling to keep certain memories alive, of fighting to preserve the memories of those we we want to look look up to or question yeah. or take inspiration from is but still yes but still which is the way to uh, the way to think about the past in a more revolutionary way yeah yeah it's just to take like figures like che for example and like yes but still but even then yeah or others like like lenin like trotsky like so many others it's like to take these figures or to take so many others, like writers, philosophers, anything or everyone yeah. or everything, yeah. or works of literature as well, as we take them in their time, into our time, we grant them this immortality. Yeah. It's an, Im- an immortality with conditions. It's an immortality that has this criticism, that has this attitude of like, well, yes, but, or maybe not. Yeah. Or this is questionable, or this just won't do. Yeah. It's not. It is a. It's not simple pick and choose. It is this engagement of it all, and this creation of an immortality that is like sort of a weapon of criticism. Yeah. Or and a weapon for criticism. Uh, or for a different view, for a different world, for a revolutionary perspective. Um, and in a sense, I guess I believe in this immortality, uh, secularly. I'm also Catholic, so you know, yeah, the other one, but (laughs) in this aspect of memory of the mundane world, this that can be a positive, critical immortality, yeah, one that exists not because of some impure creek or (laughs) some other power, but that can exist. Because of this critical engagement that preserves and destroys and reflects and builds on this past. And that with these immortals, be them people or labors, they they are an object of engagement, of reflection in the present and in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to add to that that logically, taking your point, in contrast of what we have as expectancy of life, I mean, mm-hmm. in a certain way, uh, logically, reading things from the past is experience things from the past. Yes. So, basically, as reflecting and as criticizing the past, we actually logically access, in a way, a time, in a way that make us, for that matter... I don't know, uh, it, 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 uh, what, what I'm, as I said, what I'm driving at is, if you read, uh, I don't know, a book from, no, if you read the Iliad, you are 
sort of connecting yourself to that point in the past. So the ex life experience that you have is that whole chunk of uh, that that whole uh, uh, that whole uh, void between Homer and us. Yes. So in in a logical and linguistical way, as we access the past, we are immortals because we are thousands thousands years old mm -hmm. through literature, basically, through uh, through history, through thinking and re rebuilding and destroying the past and proposing new things. You make a very compelling point. <laughs> I need to reflect upon that. Yeah. But I guess this... It, it's true. I guess it's true. I guess this... This connection with literature or with history or philosophy, so many other things, um, these texts from the past, these words uh, that <laughs> exactly. are dislocated, that are mutilated, that yeah. are words from others, they help us to become immortal, but they don't annihilate us. Yeah. Because in our own mortality as we receive these other mortalities we build another type of mortality one that isn't reductible to everything uh in a way that is diluted but it is able to expand and understand past present and future in a way that is different yeah that is subjective and that can be collective yeah Jesus, <laughs> I went on some long rants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. No, no, no. It's absolutely fine. I mean, it's it, it, and the, the even bigger problem about this short story is that is that it has so many fucking references to <laughs> things that I don't even begin to think about, like <laughs> the 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 little phrasing in Greek, uh, just there. It, it, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't even want to begin. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it is a thing. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I hope you guys liked it. <laughs> yeah, I hope this was at least an interesting reflection. Yeah. We, we wanted to go on this sort of bizarre reflection on death and go through this author again. Yeah, while also, while also providing a different. Well, we we do these once in a while. These more reflective episodes. Yeah, because I think they they help our our human experience yeah exactly and i think this was a good one too and how we perceive like death mortality and immortality in our capitalist world and how well there, there can be different types of immortalities at least that's what i am pushing for even if the text stands against it in a yeah. way <laughs> yeah, yeah because i think well we we must strive to dream and build a better world. Yeah. And to strive for different types of immortalities, even in our mortalities. So yeah, nice. it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you have any party words? No, no. Well, in that case, <laughs> um, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Yeah. Uh, we we should be back in about two weeks uh, with something new. Yeah. And something interesting, and either by late next week or early the following week we should have our patreon episodes up yeah um post the event next week uh, which will there be pictures of on the twitter don't you worry yeah um but yeah it, it should be fine if you if you'd like if you, if you could 
please follow us on social media. Uh, we're at Twitter. Uh, we're on Twitter at Left Page Pod. Uh, I'm always sharing stuff from other left podcasters out there yeah. and uh, talking about things down here in Brazil every once in a while. And just, yeah. uh, you know, being always online <laughs> as these things happen. Yeah, so please follow us on there if you could. And as I mentioned earlier, there's our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash uh, left page. We have quite a bit of content there. Yeah. Some more general, like, laid back conversations that we had on writing, on literature, on politics, yeah. on, on reading. Our, on our own writing. On our lives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure the next one will be just as intense. Uh, I'm going through some stuff tell you more about it then <laughs> okay. and uh, there's the poetry club if you give us five dollars or more uh you can be a part of this poetry club where we talk about different poems and feel free to please uh, our current patrons or new ones to recommend stuff for us to read yeah uh be it for the poetry club or outside of it we're uh. always open to suggestions and we should we want to be working on a couple of collaborations as well at some point uh, not that the year's ending and we can think clearly for once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, all that is constantly in the works. We're constantly thinking about this and what we can do and how we can bring in more folks and how we can bring in more patrons as well and how can we give content that you all enjoy. So I think that's all part of the process too. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think, uh, thank you so much for listening. Please, please check us out on both. And if you like, we're, we're always on. Um, I am always on Twitter. Yeah. So feel free yeah. to talk to me. To Frank there. is the public relations guy from the podcast. <laughs> Who would have done? Yeah. Who would have done? Uh, well, here we are. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, thank you so much for listening, everyone. You're great, and we should be back soon enough. So, thank you so much for listening. And to the next one.